Welcome, everyone. Uh, you are listening to Pharmalosophy, the podcast with Tom Newton of Renaissance Leadership. My name is Steve McCall, and I'm the host. Uh, today, Tom, we are doing so. I've just been made a project team leader in a matrix environment. Great. Now what? Did, by the way, did you write that? Uh, that was the uh, the title, and, and I suggested that because uh, in working with pharmaceutical organizations, I've had any number of people say that sometimes I was surprised by learning of that role, and that's the first thing that came to mind. So what's the, and, and that's the origin of the topic? That's really how it came up? It, it really is. Many project and team leaders in pharmaceutical organizations learn of their role through a variety of ways. There's a, a direct role and there's an indirect role. And of course, the direct role is when a project champion or a line manager approaches them and calls them into their office and says, congratulations, Eddie or Aaron, you're now going to be responsible for this particular project. Do they get to call home then at that point in time? Something like that. <laughs> So what's the indirect example? The indirect example um, comes out of a series of unusual examples that I've been given uh, during the course of working with pharmaceutical organizations. Occasionally, the classic was someone said, I was on my company's website and looking at the various R&D projects that are ongoing. And as I jumped and looked at a particular project uh, listed under project leader was my name, and I didn't even know it. So it's one of several. That one's probably the uh, an outlier, but sometimes matrix leaders are not necessarily the first kids on their block to know that they've been asked to manage a program. And, um, and, and I would encourage folks to just be aware that there's both a direct and an indirect Hopefully, most of our folks are experiencing the ones where a project champion or a line manager is sharing. So the indirect example would be if mom calls you. Yes, right. Says, congratulations. Says, congratulations. Yeah, right. You know, I hear you're, you've got a new set of responsibilities. <laughs> I'm so proud. Um, so what, what are the factors, you know, that make being a project in a, you know, a project team leader in a matrix environment um, so challenging? What, what, what are the challenges? Well, among the challenges are some of the people who are asked to take on this role have had or are currently line managers. They have a team of people who report directly to them. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, they have some leadership experience. Others uh, have not yet had an opportunity to be a line manager. Uh, in many cases, these matrix leaders are being asked to step in this, into this role without having previous leadership experience. They're asked to be a leader in this particular case because they've in the past been very good at delivering uh, on the projects that they are, for which they're a team member, but they've never really led a group of people. So what's the difference between a matrix leader and a line leader? The big difference is if I am a line leader, I'm referring to people who have a team of people 
who reports directly to them. Sometimes the term is used a solid line relationship. So like In that what? solid line relationship, if you are a one of my team members and I'm a line manager, I can say to you, Steve, this project is due Thursday. I need information on Tuesday, a summary on Wednesday. It's got to be completed on Thursday. Watch my lips. Okay, follow yep. up with that, please. It's not necessarily the best way to manage, but I can be very directive when the people report directly to me. So in a line other, organization, you have title authority. You have title authority. You have stripes on your sleeve is another way to put it. Okay. In a matrix role, a team of people have been put together, um, in many cases, a virtual team specifically structured so it can get off to a fast start and that it ends when the project ends. The reporting relationship is more of an influence manager than a, a direct line leader. In fact, a lot of people who lead within a matrix have people on their team who are on probably four or five other teams. Yeah. And in addition to their day job. <laughs> yeah. And a leader there can't say, this is when I've got to have it. You have no choice but to get it to me. It is almost around how do I as a leader work with the people on my team who have a variety of different responsibilities and influence their ability to get work done on our collective behalf. Yeah, and I love that term influence, you know, the in, the influencer power versus the title power. But so let's get into it, Tom. Tell let's let's what are the takeaways? I know there's there's going to be basically two and then the second one is the largest of the two, but there's there's a couple of takeaways that people can do today and they can after they're done with this um podcast that can launch them to have a successful um experience as a um project team leader in a matrix environment. But so what's the, what, what, are, what are some of the key first steps that a newly assigned leader can take to accelerate how quickly they create a cohesive team? I think the, the first step that I would encourage is to make sure that you have crafted a first initial meeting with the entire team that is going to be part of that project and have a group discussion around the nature of the remit and some other key discussions so that uh, everyone knows how they're going to work together within the context of that. Let me give you a couple of suggested things and then one area that sometimes is a difficult one. A lot of times leaders choose rather than do a group meeting that has an introduction and a discussion of the remit, they attempt to get to each of the team players individually to help those folks get to know the team leader, especially if the team leader is new to those team members. And I suggest, and I have been told by folks who've tried this, that it doesn't work as well as having one single group meeting where we go over a series of very important key steps, which I'll take you through in a second, so that everybody hears the message in the same way and at the same time. So really, this is a clarity issue that you're, as a new leader, if you have one-on-one -on -one meetings, you someone may hear something, somebody else hears something else, and therefore, then all of a sudden, you've started off with confusion. 
And, and let me give you a very specific example to reinforce what you just said. I might feel I can do a very good job outlining one-on-one with the four or five, six people that I need to speak with, but the reality of work sometimes gets in the way. Let's assume you are the second of six people I want to talk to, and right in the middle of what I plan on being a, a nice 15-minute conversation, somebody sticks his head in the door, my boss, and says, I need to see you. Uh, Tom and I are on on video conference, and so I just pointed at him, and I was acting like the boss, saying, I need to see you right now. And the challenge in those cases is I might choose to cut short a one-on-one discussion with you, and the reality is after each of those one-on-one conversations, it's not unusual for the team members who are going to participate to get together and talk about, well, what did Tom share with you? And if as a result of those one-on-one conversations, someone else is very excited and says, yes, we spent 20 minutes on the phone going over all of the key elements of the remit. Uh, What did you and Tom talk about? And you say, oh, well, he gave me a quick three minutes. And then somebody poked his head in and he said he had a run uh, and we'd get together at the group meeting. So I obviously am not very important in this process. Ah, Uh, so, so the the human element becomes message. Yes, yes. Um, are there other downsides that um, one should be aware of if they try to go through the one on one, or is it mostly just what we had spoken about? It's mostly what we've just spoken about, which then prompts me to ask people who are experienced in this area, what's a more effective approach? And if you are using that group meeting first, what do you include? And I've gotten some really good suggestions from folks uh, through the years that would like to incorporate with you. So we have the first meeting. I've got everybody in the room. But prior to doing that, I need to lay out basically four things. And and what are those uh, key components of a successful, successful initial group meeting? Well, the four that I found most helpful would be to use a first a process called a new manager assimilation process, which I've stolen from um, what an an individual might do when he first joins the organization. Secondly, a key thing to do would be to talk about roles and responsibilities. Third, creating some operating guidelines, Uh, beginning of some conversations about stakeholders, and then discussing a decision process. So I think it's those four or five things um, that are going to be key to discuss in that meeting. The, the biggest challenge before I go into detail would be a lot of people will be impatient that those things don't focus on getting the work done. <laughs> yeah, enough of this. Let's just get the work done. Yeah, it'll feel to some like we want to talk. It's the soft stuff. It's the relationship building the the holding hands and people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So what do you need of me? And um, pushing back in an appropriate way to make sure that you create a sense of team, even if it is a virtual matrix team. And I think this, this is key to getting stuff done quickly. If you build a solid foundation as you will move forward in the process, you will have more success, a better chance of success of overcoming the um, bumps in the road, if you will. Agree. Um, 
what I'd like to do is, is go back to each of those and spend a couple of minutes with you if I could. Let's do it. Uh, the first one I mentioned uh, is a new manager assimilation process, um, abbreviated NUMAP, N-M-A-P. Um, it basically can be one of two ways. It's a combination of the leader who's on the phone or in a one-on-one -on -one within this group setting, identifying um, probably three things that most teams would like to know um, about that, that leader. It's, it's basically saying, here's what I think you ought to know about me that will help us work together. Among the things, you might describe a preferred management style. You might begin to talk about, uh, for those of you who don't know me, here's what I think are the strong and weak points that I might bring to the uh, table. Here's how I define top performance. Here's how we're going to be measured. Let me restate our remit. And then um, giving some folks an opportunity to ask questions uh, a lot of times, new team members want to know specific things about their their team leader. And here, here are among the things that I've been told, and I know when I'm on teams, I want to know about that leader. How do you view teamwork? What's your basic management style? How do we handle things when we make mistakes? How do I bring up issues how do I put things out on the table without being a contrarian? Uh, how often do we need to communicate? Um, how much do you want to know about the problems I'm having? All of these things, and you could almost create a list, and I would be glad if anybody were interested in to send uh, this template to them um, to share ahead of time and say, these are some of the things that you might want to know about me. I'm going to open this up to you to ask questions about how we play, work, fight, argue, kiss and make up, make decisions so that we can, when we finally do begin to talk about our work, get things done quickly. Good. All right. What is the second part of this meeting? The second one, after we begin to st strengthen the nature of the relationships, is to go around the room or on the phone, uh, ask people how they see, what they see their roles and responsibilities are within the context of this team, as opposed to having the leader tell them. I suggest that the leader ask each of the team members, how do you see your role in this? Sometimes there are people who have very uh, specific uh, roles. Their role might be within safety assessment or regulatory affairs, and they don't see themselves as playing a bigger or more extensive role. Um, that needs to be clarified up front. Even if people choose to operate within their given silos, having a leader give people permission to share perspectives around things that are outside their purview is helpful. It allows me as a team member know that I am valued beyond what I know about a certain area. What if you get the, I don't know what my role is? Well, I think part of that would be uh, for each member, 
some pre-work on the leader's part to make sure that they're not surprised by the, well, what do you want me to do? Because you will be pushed back. Even though people know what they probably should do, sometimes a lack of confidence or a lack of knowledge about how that leader works will prompt that question. Uh, And the response to that should probably include a, well, typically, Ed, I'm going to look for you to help me with the regulatory aspects. That means calling on these kinds of people, making sure that whatever we say or do or direct does not get us in trouble with the FDA or that agency, or if it's a safety assessment issue, um, you help direct us. But I also am interested for all of you, not just the individual we're talking with now, to share perspectives on what will make this project successful. All right. So we have uh, the new management, new manager assimilation process. That's a tough word to say. And then we have the roles and responsibility. What's uh, step three? Step three is to create and craft kind of a, a list of operating guidelines. A lot of people have been on great teams in the past. And a leader could jumpstart this with a couple of behavioral suggestions that um, – that he or she are are fond of and want to include, but then ask for input from other folks. And they might run the gamut from, um, we will go around the room and make sure that in our phone conversations, as well as our get togethers, that everyone's had an opportunity to weigh in. The second operating agreement might be, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's, um, it's okay to to say I pass. I don't have a perspective, and it doesn't mean you're you're not engaged or you don't care. Um, and the other thing is that we're going to agree that if we come up with a consensus decision, that that consensus decision gets supported outside the meeting. If someone else approaches us and says, "Who the devil made that decision?" We don't throw people under the bus and say, well, you know, I tried, but I got I pushed back. We flipped a coin. It was a consensus. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on that when we talk about uh, the decision process. Okay. Uh, but that's a very important. And, and every team knows of very specific behaviors they'd love to have included. And if the team plays an integral role in deciding what those are, they're more likely to be committed to them and to stay with those behaviors. All right. And the next step after guidelines and agreements on how to operate is uh, stakeholder? Yeah, a a lot of times this is a great opportunity when you start a project to begin to ask who are the people that are going to be most important, uh, who will really impact uh, this project. And it's not just a lot of times the leader says, well, we've got our marching orders from a champion or I got my marching orders from a line manager, so we're going to uh, go northwest and color it green. I mean, that's that's where we're going. A lot of times there's a realization, or should be, that there are other people in the organization who may have a different view of that, and their perspectives have to be included. So taking the time, and it's painstaking and for some very painful is to go back and and identify those stakeholders, talk about how important they are, decide where they're coming from, and then ask what issues or wins need to be created. In fact, 
one of our podcasts that we've done in the past specifically gives people more information on that should they need it. Yeah, we certainly invite you to listen to the podcast on stakeholders, and you can find that at our website, which I have failed to mention, Tom, at pharmalosophy.com. I'll spell that P-H-A-R-M-A-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y.com. All right, so we have new manager assimilation process. We have the roles and responsibilities, guidelines to operate, stakeholders. What's the final step of this initial meeting? Uh, usually that is a, a review of how are we going to make decisions. And a lot of times the pushback on this one is time. We have nothing to decide on. Why talk about uh, the decisions before we've got, we even know where we're heading. And part of that is I have been told by great matrix leaders that if they had to do it over again, in many cases, they would have included a discussion of the various ways decisions or recommendations will be uh, determined at the very front end, as opposed to waiting until data is collected and passions are created. Um, and there's really five different ways that decisions are made. And while that's not a topic for this podcast, uh, there are some very specific advantages for talking about how decisions will be made at this first meeting. And, and again, th these are things that if they want more information, they can hear the other podcast and we invite them to, um, to check that out. But a discussion around decision processes is what's important. Yeah, especially without going into the other podcast is who's going to make the decision and key is what decisions might involve consensus or what decisions might involve more than one person or in some cases for what decisions will I, as the leader, make the call? Yeah. Well, is there, I, I love this, and I think it's great for, you know, you've just been made a team leader, you're ready to go, first have your group meeting, and then, um, and then follow these steps, if you will. If you would like to see these steps in writing, again, you can see them on pharmalosophy.com, the website, and we have it right there on the front page, or if you scroll down, you'll be able to see that. Is there anything else that you would add to this, Tom? Probably uh, two things. One, I would always uh, close out this uh, first meeting with some attempt at an action plan for the future. I'm a very big fan of kind of a, a template that has a what we've decided, who's going to be accountable, and by when, and making sure that for the three or four points going forward might include when we're going to meet next, who will have information that will be shared with the rest of the team that will help us have an effective dialogue at our next meeting. But a kind of a what, who, and by when uh, would be a very uh, important part of that. And then uh, remaining open and asking if there's any other questions before um, moving on. The question of how long should this take uh, this might take the entire first discussion. I don't know that there's a particular time frame I would put on it, but I think any leader who rushes to get through this rushes through it at their own peril. I think the development of the relationships 
especially if some of the people are new to one another, will suffer if the proper time isn't isn't spent. And I think a, a leader knows that by a final question, which might be, what else do we need to talk about or agree upon or gain clarity about before moving into our actual piece of business, before moving into our actual work processes? Well, I, I think that's a great question to uh, follow up with or to end with. And on that note, I will say thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to Pharmalosophy, the podcast with Tom Newton of Renaissance Leadership. Have a good day every day, everybody. And you too, Tom. Take care, Steve. Thank you.